Welcome back to another episode of the Mind Melt Podcast, where we open our minds through interesting conversation and destroy our biases in the process. Today, my guest is Matthew Collin. He's an independent insurance broker at Colburn Financial. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks, Shire. Appreciate the invite. So I know you're an insurance broker. So what is the difference between an insurance broker and an insurance agent? Good question. Um, an insurance agent is like Jake from State Farm. So an insurance agent is tied to a specific company. So Jake from State Farm just offers insurance from State Farm. And nothing against State Farm. It's just when you have only one insurance company that you can go to, sometimes you're limited um, in what you can offer and who you can serve. So as a broker, as an independent broker, I work with several dozen different insurance companies because I'm not an agent with a specific company. So that allows me a little bit more flexibility when I'm working with people. It gives people more options in their plans and like what they want to do. Yeah, exactly. It gives them more options um, and it allows some more flexibility based on their personal circumstances. Yeah, for sure. So for someone who's in like their 20s or like a very young person, why would it be a good reason for them to invest in life insurance or any other kind of insurance? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, that's one of the most common misconceptions that I uh, run into when I talk to folks. People think that life insurance is just for older people or life insurance is just for people with families or other responsibilities. One of the biggest reasons to invest in life insurance when you're young is that you can get locked into a rate that is never going to get more expensive. You know, as we get older, life insurance gets more expensive. And the earlier you get life insurance, the less you're going to pay for it. So that's one of the important reasons to get in when you're young. And then the other is there's a lot of versatility with life insurance. Life insurance just, it's different. It's not your granddad's life insurance yeah. uh, anymore. Uh, so there's some, there's some life insurance uh, that can help you save money as well. And uh, the earlier you get in, saving that money, the harder that money's going to work for you over the course of your life. Yeah. And the third thing is really, and I hate to be the Debbie Downer here um, and bring this up, but we all know of people who have passed away far too early, far too young through whatever circumstances. And nobody is guaranteed a tomorrow setting yourself up for future unforeseen events um, it, it can be something that you're very grateful for or your family's very grateful for down the road. Yeah, definitely. We're only guaranteed today. So we mm-hmm. really need to prepare for what can happen down the road. So besides covering for like a loss of a loved one, what else does life insurance nowadays provide to people? Yeah, great question. Um, so there's a, there's a couple of different main benefits that I talk about with clients. You know, to go back to, again, your grandfather's life insurance was a death benefit. So if you died, the money went to your family member that you designated that was going to get that money called your beneficiary. And that's still available today. And it's usually the least expensive option for insurance. It's going to be the most cost effective. But there are some other more comprehensive uh, plans available that offer you living benefits. And I explain living benefits in this way. Living benefits are those things that can happen that don't cause your premature death, but can you know, knock you off your rocker a little bit. They can cause you to be out of commission for a while. Things like 
injuries that cause you a disability, even a temporary disability. You're not able to perform some of your normal daily living activities, maybe a heart attack or a stroke. I certainly have known people that have had heart attacks that have survived, you know, medical uh, technology and medicine today. A lot of people survive heart attacks, but they're out of commission for a while. They can't work for maybe a month, maybe two months. So there are benefits that your life insurance can provide you that will give you money to help you overcome those financial shortfalls during a period like that. It's a little bit of like and, a cushion so you can get back on your feet and get back to normal. Exactly. Life. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's something that'll help you pay the bills while you're recovering from your medical condition. And you're not getting in further debt, correct? Because you've already been paying for your life insurance. Yeah. So that money is something that you've been paying for and it's a, it's a benefit to you. So you file a claim, you get that money and that will help you. One of the things to remember is when you get a benefit from life insurance like that, it is going to be tax advantaged, meaning that, and again, I'm not a tax professional, I'm not a CPA, but in general, those benefits would come to you without the burden of having to pay income tax on them. Now, check with your tax professional to make sure that that's the case for you based on your income. But in most cases, if you have a need to get a, a file for one of those living benefits, that's not going to be counted against you as income. So like that policy balance is similar to something like a Roth IRA, something that can't be taxed. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's different, but the concept is the same. And and in life insurance has always been something that's been had some protections against taxation due to the nature of what it's for. It's really a safety net for you and your family for those worst case scenarios. So a lot of people, do they get their life insurance through like their employer or do they usually do that on their own? A lot of employers used to, and, and a lot still do, offer some measure of life insurance. It is different than the type of life insurance that I deal with in, in several ways. Um, one of them is, is it, it is group life insurance, meaning that there's an insurance company that is insuring an entire group of employees. They're offering coverage to all of these employees. They're spreading the risk out among all these employees. And you're going to get that coverage really very inexpensively. The great thing about employer-sponsored life insurance is that it's very inexpensive. The downside to employer-sponsored life insurance is that when you leave that job, you can't take it with you. And, and the other thing is there's not a lot of flexibility. It's a death benefit uh, life insurance, and the benefits can be anywhere from just enough to cover your funeral to, depending on your company, can be up to a certain amount of multiplier of your yearly salary, like twice your yearly salary. No, I think that part you said about how it doesn't carry over, how when you leave a job, you don't have that uh, protection anymore because a lot of people more than ever are leaving their jobs or switching jobs. And even with like the internet, there's a lot of new entrepreneurs or self-employed people. So it can be harder for them to reap like the benefits of a traditional employer. So what would you suggest as a good way for those people to find insurance policies that work for them? Yeah. If you're in a, in a job that doesn't offer that, or like you said, a lot of entrepreneurs out there today, blazing a path, working for themselves. There's independent insurance brokers like myself 
that can sit down with you and come up with a plan based on your needs and your goals. You know, life insurance isn't a one size fits all. Everybody's got different needs and goals and a different budget. And so we can sit down and come up with some options for you. That would be the best thing if you don't have that benefit of life insurance through your employer is to sit down with someone like me, go through what your options are. Let's talk about your goals, what you need. You may not need as much as you think and, and find you something that's going to be a good fit. Okay. That makes sense. So you mentioned earlier how usually you find questions to ask a financial advisor. So when you ask these questions to a financial advisor, how are you supposed to tell like what's a credible one, what's someone I shouldn't work with? Well, they're, those those questions that you're going to find are going to tell you the answer to that. You're going to okay. they're going to say you should ask them these five questions, and here's the answer that you should get for someone that you want to work with. Here are the things that are important. And really, when it comes down to it, Shire, when you're talking to anybody about insurance or getting financial advice from someone, whether it's a financial advisor, a financial planner, a CPA, um, you're always you always want to work with someone who has your best interest in mind. They're someone who's going to listen to you, understand your concerns, understand your goals. And then they're going to give you advice based on that. Um, and, you know, instead of a one size fits all kind of program, yeah. you know, investing insurance, none of that is a one size fits all. Everybody has different priorities. Everybody has different goals different risk tolerance. So you want to make sure that you find somebody who's not only reputable, who has the certifications, the licenses to do the work that they're doing, but someone who you really feel like you can connect with, who's listening to you and understanding what you, what you want to do. Yeah. You don't just want like a cookie cutter template for your future. You want something tailored to you that will account for your future life and your current life, something that works for you and something you can like stick to, not just like an overall plan for everyone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One of the three keys really to success in saving money for the future, patience, consistency, and commitment. You have to have the patience because this doesn't happen quickly. Not everybody wins the lottery. Not everybody buys the stock that immediately, you know, for $2 that immediately shoots through the roof and is now $250. Not, Not everybody has those moments. So you have to be patient, investing, saving money, whether it is via life insurance or anything else is a, it's, it's something that takes time. Yeah. Cause Um, it it takes time for your money to grow. It's not just going to correct double overnight or something like that. Correct. And anybody tells you that they've got something that's going to do that. I would just be skeptical. Yeah. Consistency is another key being consistent with whatever you're doing for saving making sure that you're saving on a regular basis, set up a schedule for yourself to save X amount per paycheck. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be half your paycheck. It just has to be something because those dollars that you save today as a young person, as a teenager, as someone in their twenties, as someone who is, you know, just gotten out of college, those dollars that you save today are going to be the ones that work the hardest for you and the longest for you. So the sooner you start saving, the more that money is going to work for you. And and that third key commitment, you just have to stick with it. It's not easy. Life has a lot of ups and downs and you have to be committed to that, to that long-term vision that you have. So you can stay, the commitment helps you with the consistency. Yeah. Those two are definitely connected. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's uh, if you're fortunate to have a long, healthy life, you know, patience, just got to have the patience for it. Yeah. So, uh, so I think those are three things that are really important. When people are like impatient with their money or they tend to move it around a lot, what are some common trends you see with these people? Uh, I, I, I don't know that I see a lot of trends because I'm not on that in that investment side that sees people moving a lot, trying to move things around based on market fluctuations. But you know, one of the things that jumps out at me, if you're not patient is you're just going to miss out anybody who has been around for any length of time and paid attention to financial markets knows that there's ups and downs. Any financial advisor is going to tell you that there's ups and downs. Um, and that's why you have to be patient. There are times when things are going to be down and you have to just be patient because over the long term. If you look at where things have come from, if you start it today and look backwards, you're going to see how things have gone up. You know, one of the things that people get caught up in, they get caught in this trap of an ideal that they see out there for the future. And instead of looking at how far they've come in their journey towards their ideal, they look at the fact that they haven't reached their ideal yet. Yeah. And when they when they start to concentrate on the fact that they haven't reached that ideal, that's a really big negative stressor. Yeah. And that that just is not, that's not how you want to go through life in general. And that's not how you want to go through uh, your mindset with investing. Um, So just looking at, you know, there's a lot of research in that too. There's a lot of positive psychology research that's been done. Uh, there's been books written about it. I'm reading one right now that's really excellent called uh, The Gap and the Gain okay. by, uh, by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy. And it's, you got to look back and see what, how far you've come. And the same thing is with investing. Don't look at the future and try to base your goals on some ideal because when you don't achieve that ideal, if you don't achieve that ideal, you're going to be disappointed. You have to look at how far you've come and where things have come in the past and how far things have come in the past. So just, uh, I think one of the things people get caught up in is, is TV commercials or they think, oh, I've got to get $10 million to be comfortable in retirement, or I have to get this, or I have to get that. And, uh, there's a, there's just a different mindset that I think you need to have, um, in order to maintain that patience, consistency, and commitment in in every day with your money management. And I think sometimes, I don't know about you personally, but if you can make yourself do something consistently, you're going to see more progress than if you were to just do it every once in a while and here and there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, every day, just try to be 1% better, just 1%. I like um, that. Your money that you have saved away doesn't have to grow, you know, 8% a day. It doesn't have to grow, you know, you know, how, whatever measure you think it has to grow for it to be successful. You just have to be consistent with just a little bit every day builds up over time. That's what it's about. Just making progress. And like you said earlier, it's so good to start investing early and saving early because you have so much more time to let your money grow instead of having to wait like till you're older and then invest a huge chunk of your money into investing. You can start doing it gradually. Yeah, the earlier you start, you can start with a small amount and start early and try to be consistent, as consistent as you can. Don't set a goal that's not achievable. You know, if if you're not working full time and you can't afford to put more than, you know, 10 bucks a paycheck into savings, put 10 bucks a paycheck into savings. You want something? Start with that. Scale it up as you go through life, as you get different jobs and higher pay and so forth. Scale that up. Because also, if you set a goal too high for yourself, 
then you're going to start disappointing yourself and then you're going to feel bad about yourself. And then maybe you won't even be consistent with it. So you want something that you can actually achieve every week, every day. Yeah. Small, small goals are great. They're achievable. They're attainable. And like you said, it helps you stay in a positive mindset because the last thing you want to do with anything is nobody likes being discouraged. Nobody likes feeling like they haven't reached a goal. Nobody likes to feel like they've failed. And one of the things that you can do to avoid that is set yourself some smaller, more attainable goals. And you'll find that when you do that, you get those little wins and those little wins add up over time to big wins. It's all about mindset. I think, you know, saving money is a, a lot about mindset and it's mindset is really important just in life in general. So, saving money, I think is a particularly important to have that right mindset and, and what you're talking about can really add to that. Yeah. And I think I've heard about this book you're talking about, The Gap in the Gain. It's kind of about like investing in your future self. And like every time you do that, you're going to have a, a bigger and better future self. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of really great concepts. It's actually a really short read. I think it's only six chapters. It's not a big deal. I got it on audiobook. It just came out on audiobook recently. And in Benjamin Hardy, he's uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. He's got a PhD in uh, organization, organizational psychology. So he's really coming from a place of authority Really, he really has done a lot of research, but it's, it's not, it's stuff that's extremely practical. And that, that everybody can latch on to and understand. And you're right. It's, you know, improving your everyday self so that you can improve your future self. So yeah, it's, it's a really good book. Good read. I read a lot of books, listen to a lot of audio books. I think that's something that's really important. Continue to grow, continue to educate yourself. Education doesn't stop when you're done with school. Definitely. Self-education is super important. And yeah. And it's not always just uh, professional yeah. related. Um, you know, there's a lot of you know, personal stuff. And, you know, we all, I read, you know, a lot of fiction and stuff like that. It's just fun. It's like escapism, you know, uh, listen to fiction books. Um, but I listen to a lot of other books about, uh, finances, about self, uh, self-improvement, um, motivation, you know, a lot, a lot of different things, the leadership book. And there's always little things you can pull out of everything to really apply to your daily life to help you with anything, especially when it comes to money, because we, nobody wants to make mistakes with money. We all want to make the right choices. So there's a lot of information out there. Educate yourself. So for young people who are just getting on their journey or they're looking for ways to become financially independent, what are like three books you would recommend for these people about money and financial? Ooh. I don't have those off the top of my okay. head, Shire. Tony Robbins has some really good books out about money, about investing. He's got some really, really good stuff out there. So one of the ones that I would suggest would be um, Money, Master the Game by Tony Robbins. It's just got a lot of really practical advice. Also a lot of good advice on how to choose a financial advisor. A lot of really good information about things to ask a financial advisor and things that you want to make sure uh, that financial advisor has in their toolbox before you sign up with them. So that's a really good one. So uh, another book that I would suggest, and we were talking about mindset earlier, and the name of the book is Mindset by Carol Dweck. She's PhD. And that's mindset from everything in life, from finances to everyday things. So that's another book that I would suggest, Mindset. And I've just I've read a lot of good books this year, not necessarily directly pertaining to financial advice. And, and along with mindset, all about someone's particular mindset, a book that I read that I found it very inspirational 
and is all about this particular person's mindset. And, and, and that is uh, Can't Hurt Me by David yes. Goggins. I love that book. And David Goggins is an incredible individual. Um, he's got an amazing story. And the okay. man has one of the strongest mindsets I've ever, ever, ever seen. I mean, he yeah. makes his mind up. He's going to do something. He just does it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The, all the negative circumstances, all the voices in his head saying you, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that don't matter. And, and you know, we're not, not everybody's a David Goggins, but he can learn a lot from him and i think that uh that is a really power that was a really powerful book to read very yeah. very powerful for me too and what really like was inspiring about his story is like he wasn't always like that he didn't always have that mindset it's like something he built through challenging himself and like overcoming his own obstacles for sure yeah and and the audiobook on that is really fascinating too because okay. it's like a podcast format where the narrator of the audiobook stops after each chapter or at places within a chapter and has a discussion with David Goggins about what he just read. Oh, really? And it makes it even more powerful. Um, so if you haven't heard the audiobook version, I would suggest uh, downloading that and taking a listen to it because it's, when it comes to mindset, that, that man is, he's amazing. Um, and he's an inspiration. Yeah. Um, and it's really, really, really good stuff. And that, and that, again, that's just a mindset, the things mm -hmm. that can improve your mindset when you think that you can't do something, when you think you can't save that much money, you really can. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, there's ways to do it. So you say finances is a lot about your mindset. Um, do you believe in yeah. like the, the law of attraction and how you can like attract wealth to you? Yeah, I, you know, it's a that's a really interesting. And again, it goes back to a book I read called The Secret. Okay, I know that. Um, I would check that out too. That is a that is kind of all about the law of attraction. I do believe that there's some validity to that. I, and and again, it it really is all about mindset. When you look at all of it and roll it all into, if you had to categorize theme for all of those things, it really is a theme about controlling your mindset, recognizing when your mindset is getting when your mind is getting somewhere where it shouldn't be bringing yourself back on course to where you should be. Um, I think that that's a lot of that's important with finance, because, you know, with insurance, you're protecting your families now and protecting your future as well. And then to be patient, consistent and committed, you have to have the right mindset and, and you to make those choices to put that money every month into life insurance, you have to be committed. You have to be patient. You have to be consistent. And, and, it, and a lot of that is if you're just living every day to live every day, it's not important to you. You know, one of the things I tell people when I talk to them is some people I talk to, they're not, it's not something that's important to them. And I tell them, I don't want your life insurance to be more important to me than it is to you. Yeah. And some people, it's just not a fit. It's not a fit for everybody. I think everybody should have life insurance, but that's just me. <laughs> I, I, but again, it's, it's not, some people decide it's not for them. Some people would rather live in the now than think ahead to the future. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I love living in the now. I mean, yeah. living in the now is great, but also you realize that there are things that you definitely need to think about for the future. And there's simple things you can do to prepare for that. And so this is just, you know, life insurance is one of those simple things you can do. I think uh, I read something recently and I don't remember the number now, but if you go on to GoFundMe and look up a keyword, a funeral, you'll see all the people that are, have GoFundMe requests for, to pay for funerals. And it, it, GoFundMes are great. It, they open up a lot of possibilities for people, but do you want your legacy to be, they had to start a GoFundMe campaign to bury you? Yeah. 
because, you know, it puts, you know, your friends and family in, in a bad spot. So having that in your, in your portfolio, uh, making sure that that's taken care of is something that is very important. Yeah. Because when you, when there's a death in the family or you die, there's so much stress that your family gets caused and there's so many different obligations they have. And if you can take one of those stressors off the table, being the financial part of your funeral, that's just so important because first of all, they're grieving, but they're also dealing with a lot of coordination and a lot of different aspects. And if it's like financials are a stressor for almost all of us on a daily basis, if we can eliminate that part, it's going to be so much more smooth and people are going to be able to heal faster. Yeah. You're so right on that Shire. That's, that's really, um, that's really good stuff. You're absolutely 100% right about that relieving stress for your family. And, 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 you know, again, I don't want to get too caught up in only thinking about life insurance as something that pays out a benefit when you, when you die, because yes, it does, but there's those other pieces that will help you in other circumstances that will help you and your family, um, weather some financial storms in the event of a, a, an illness or a disability that happens. So just be aware that that's, you know, always remember that that's available and part of it. It's not just about the death benefit, but also those living benefits that can be so important. And, you know, there's something else that life insurance can do, which is it can help you save money. And I mean that in, in, in it's, you know, a lot of people are probably familiar with term life insurance and term life insurance is means that it's good for a specific term, a specific period of time. And it doesn't, it's, it's like renting insurance. So after that period of time is up, that's it. You don't pay for it anymore, but you don't have the coverage anymore. One of the things that is available now with life insurance, one of the things that's been available for a long time is something called whole life insurance. And without getting too complicated, basically it, every bit that you pay every month, part of it goes towards the life insurance and part of it goes into a savings account that accrues interest. Okay. And over time, that money builds up in the savings portion and then you can use it if you need it. You can, you can take it out it's like your own personal bank. We have something that is extremely helpful to people that we're really just starting to um, advertise more and, and talk to people more about. And that's something that can help people with a problem that we have in this country right now that is just gets seems to get worse every year, and that's debt. And it starts a lot of times when you're young, when you're just getting out of college. You come out with a boatload of student loan debt, then you have some credit card debt. And then you get a job and then you save for a house and then you have a mortgage and now you got a mortgage, but you're still paying off your student loans. You got that, you know, four or $5,000 credit card bill that you're paying on every month and things can start to look like you're never going to get out of debt. Yeah. It's this whole system of debt on top of debt on top of debt. And it's kind yeah. of like, it's kind of setting our young people up for failure in the long yeah. term in saving for money in retirement. So when people are thinking about going to college or um, they're in college, what do you think is some of the best ways to deal with their student loan debt and to like start to pay it off as soon as possible? Yeah, that's a really good question. There's a lot going on right now where people have actually in the last couple of years have stopped paying their student loan debt. Um, they have not been required to pay it. 
Um, there's talk about forgiving student loan debt for certain segments of society I, based on jobs that you might have or what, and I don't know a lot of that that's going on. I just know that there's a lot of things with student loan debt right now that are kind of in flux. People don't really know. I've talked to people in the last six months that have said, oh, I've got this student loan bill. You know, I've got $9,000 in student loans or I've got $25,000 in student loans, but I haven't been paying on it. And I don't know when I'm going to be required to pay on it. So they're just kind of sitting on it. They know they're going to have to pay it eventually. They think they will, but they're not sure. One of the things that, that I can do with that I can talk to people about and help people with is paying off that debt and starting with student loans. Student loans are pretty, it's a pretty rigid system. Like there's a, usually a, you got to start paying it back at this point. You're going to pay so much. They keep the monthly payments fairly affordable, but you know, you end up paying them way into the future. Got a friend who got his PhD and I think, you know, he's, I think he paid off his last student loan when he was in his, you know, he was like 47 or 48 years old. And he ironically paid off his student loan to the place that he got his PhD from where he was currently working as a professor. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's kind of crazy, but, um, you know, one of the things that my company has put together is a program called debt-free life, where we can help people with a plan and show people how they can pay off all their debt, including student loans, mortgages, car payments, credit card bills, usually in nine years or less. Really? Without, and here's the key to that, without spending a dollar more than you're spending today. Okay. And how do people go about starting this plan? They uh, need to talk to me and we'll set up a time to do a, a, a quick consultation. I usually um, start off by going over the program, what it does, what it is, what it isn't. Most importantly, what it isn't because people hear like, they hear things like that and they go, that can't be true. Red flags go up. They're like, this is a scam. This is, no. we start off by telling you what it isn't. And then we show you how it works. And then we go through and do something that I call a financial fire drill, where we talk about your finances. We talk about your income, your bills, your monthly bills, your, your debts, credit cards, car payments, all of that stuff, everything, your investments. What do you have in your 401k? What do you have? We, we look at all of your whole financial picture. And then what we do is we find the money that they're currently paying that is not efficient. So a lot of people are overpaying on their debt. You know, they're putting an extra 20 bucks a month on the credit card. They're putting an extra 200 bucks a month on the mortgage. They're paying an extra $75 a month on their car payment and all in an effort to pay that debt off quicker. Oh, okay. Uh, they're all trying to pay it off faster because people, you know, if they can put any extra money in there to pay it off faster. Um, so one of the things we do is we look at where they're spending money inefficiently and, and then show them that using our plan, that money can be used more efficiently and they can uh, use that money in a way that will help them pay off their debt faster than they thought possible, and then continue to use this plan to save money for the future. And a lot of times when you're starting out young, that money grows and it grows really, really well. And one of my clients that I worked with in Springfield as a part of her retirement plan, not as the whole thing, but as a part, um, if she keeps using this plan and saving money in this plan, she's going to have over a million dollars in retirement from this, oh. just this one part yeah. of, of her plan that she can use. Not only that, but we cut her all of her debt payoff from 15 years down to four years. Wow. So, okay. you know, it doesn't work for everybody, but it does work for a lot of people. Um, it's a commitment. You have to be committed. You have to be patient. You have to be consistent, um, but it works. And I can help people 
with setting up a plan and showing you what it would look like for you to see if it's something that would work for you. How, what are some ways people can get out of debt faster? There's a couple of different things you want to look at with your debt. You want to look at the principal owed and the interest. So for a mortgage, for example, for people to go buy a house, you're going to have a portion of that mortgage payment every month is going to go towards the principal. That, that, be, that be the amount that you borrowed. And they're going to have a portion of that money go towards the interest. Now, when you make an overpayment on a mortgage, you have to designate, you have to tell the bank or the lender that you want that overpayment to be applied to the principal. So that's important. Now, you can't do that with a lot of things. Like, I don't think that a credit card company will do that for you. Um, it's just an overpayment is an overpayment. Any amount that you can pay extra is going to be helpful. But you can, you know, if you make just, just one payment extra a year on your mortgage, that is equivalent to the monthly amount that you owe, put that towards the principal, you can cut a significant portion of your time off of a 30-year mortgage. Again, it's the, the thing we keep coming back to with the being patient, consistent, and persistent. Um, but overpayments, yes, they will, they will eat away at your debt faster. Yeah. Um, I, just, I can just show them a way that those overpayments can work harder and kind of supercharge the the pay the payoff of your debt and shorten the amount of time. And what that does is it it saves you a lot of interest. So instead of paying, you know, 15, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars in interest over the course of or more depending on what your debts are, um, you know, in the case of a big mortgage, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars in interest over the life of that mortgage. You're not, you're not paying that. You're keeping that in your pocket. And then I'm showing you how to take that money and put it in a savings vehicle that's going to work for you. So do you think a lot of people go about paying off their debt kind of in like a monthly basis type of thing where every time a payment comes up, they're going to overpay? And do you think like people should take it more day to day? Yeah, I think I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of people out there in the world where they're working a job where they're getting paid weekly or every other week, um, that's how they set up their household budget. That's how they know how much money they're going to have. They know when their bills are going to come in and they know how much extra they might have left over every month. Uh, so I think that people do think a lot about paying off their debt in a, in a monthly sort of way. How's this going to fit into my budget, my monthly budget? It's kind of the easiest way for a lot of people to look at and compartmentalize this process of paying off their, their debt. But I think looking at it from a daily perspective is not a bad idea because if you can break it down into what you're spending every day and just take a snapshot, be a little disciplined, take a month where you write down everything you keep, everything you spend every yeah. single day, how much money you spend on coffee, you know, how much you spend at Starbucks, how much you spend yeah. at Dunkin'. Those lattes much, you know, add up. They do. They add up and then think like, well, what can I do that? You know, if you look at a month, geez, I spent $75 this month at Starbucks. Do I really need that? Because I got a coffee maker at home. Yeah. And, and it sounds cliche and it sounds oversimplified, but it works. If you can take that 75 bucks that you spend on lattes at Starbucks Sorry, Starbucks. I'm not like I'm going to put you out of business for this advice to people. <laughs> not at all. But you know, that's 75 bucks that you could be putting towards something else, like maybe putting an extra 75 bucks on your credit card payment. Things like that do make a difference. And if you okay. can be consistent with that, it's going to make a huge difference. For sure. 
No, I definitely find it difficult, um, especially with like a debit card to keep track of all the little expenses I have. And I think that if people can find a way to actually see what they're spending their money on, um, they're going to be able to realize what their habits are and make better decisions in the future. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, there's an app that I've, I've used and I've actually recommended to some people that you might find helpful. It's called true bill, okay. T R U E B I L L. There's a free version. And then there's, there's a paid version that costs a whopping $7 a month <laughs> and, and you connect it to your account and it downloads all your transactions. It allows you to categorize all your, all your spending. And so you can keep like a, a running tab of you can see what you're spending your money on. You can set yourself budgets in there. It will send you alerts and push notifications about when you are close to overspending your budget on say coffee <laughs> or, or whatever it is that you are want to, tr want to try to keep control over. So Truebill is a really a good little app that I've used and, and recommended to other people to give you a snapshot, a daily snapshot, a weekly and monthly snapshot of where you're spending your money and where you might be able to save. Okay. That's super helpful. I'm not endorsed by Truebill. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sponsored by Truebill, <laughs> but it's something I've, I've used. It's been helpful. Something I've used. It's been helpful. No, if you can compare yourself week by week and month by month, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier, the gap versus the gain. You can start to see where you're making progress in your financial goals. And you can be like, Hey, I'm saving more money. I should keep doing this. And I think sometimes when you see like small results, it actually propels you to keep doing what you're doing. Cause you see that it's actually working. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. When you see those wins, you know, everybody likes a win, no matter how small it is, right. You set yourself up for those little wins and that's a positive reinforcement for you. And that just kind of gets the momentum going in your brain to keep doing what you're doing, to keep getting those small wins every single day. Definitely. Okay. So why do you think it's so important that people begin investing in a 401k a Roth IRA or other, some other type of retirement plan when they first get hired at a job and not waiting around a couple of months or a couple of years? Yeah, great question. Uh, I think that it's important to start saving money right away because when you when you do that, that money is going to start working for you right away. That first dollar that you put in there, that's going to be the dollar that works the hardest and the longest for you. You know, 401ks, uh, Roth IRAs, 403bs, depending on where you work, employer-sponsored retirement savings plans are a great way to do that. Sometimes they have a company match like uh, I'll match 2% or 4%. And I always encourage people to take a look at that, make sure that when they get hired, that they're filling out the right form to save some money in that. It's important to do that right off the bat, like I said, because it's just, it's going to start, your, your money's going to start working for you from day one. And the longer you wait, that means the longer you're going to have to wait down the road to, to reach your goals. So just that little bit of money, they take it right out of your check. It, it, they make it as painless as possible. It becomes something you don't even think about and it's, it's a habit. And that's one of the best ways to do it. It's not like you're getting the money in your account and then you're having to write the check or do the balance. You do the transfer or something and you're like, oh man, but I wanted that new Apple watch that just came out. And then you sacrifice for something for now and put off your, your future for something that's right now. So yeah, definitely start investing in that day one, week one, first paycheck, make sure you make an election on that. Yeah. Investing in that first paycheck in that first couple of weeks is definitely good because it gets you to build a habit that's going to lead to future gains. And also like if it's your first major job, maybe you're just out of college or you're at a new career. If you don't know what it's like to have your full paycheck without that investment into that, retirement, then it's like, 
I might as well just do this every time because I can live on this amount of money. You're exactly right. You start getting used to living on a certain budget. You don't even miss that money. And that's why it's important to, you know, there's a, there's something that as you read more about investing and read different, different books, there's something, a, a philosophy called paying yourself first. And that's what doing something like this is. It's paying yourself first. You're making sure that you and your future are the first things that you're paying before you pay any bill, before you, you know, pay your rent or your mortgage or your car payment or whatever, you're paying yourself first. So if you can set that up through your company, through your paycheck, that's the way to go. So what do you do if you're someone at a job that doesn't offer a retirement plan or there's no like employer match on your 401k? Um, yeah. what, other, what other kind of investment options are there for these type of people? Yeah. So there, there are a lot of options out there um, in investing now. I think there's even more options available now. Investing uh, in, in financially in your future is so much more accessible now than it ever was. It's also got a lot of pitfalls. Um, there's a lot of potholes out there you can get lost in, you know, just be careful. But there are a lot of these companies you see advertised on TV. You can go there to their website, start your own 401k. You start your own investment plan, your own IRA, set that up to have an automatic amount be put in every month. You don't have to do it through your employer. Employers have it just because it's extremely convenient for their employees and it's an added benefit. Plus, you know, sometimes there's a match. If there's not a match, you know, you can start saving on your own through, through many different ways that are available online, talking to a local financial planner who can help give you some advice on the type of fund to start whether you should start a Roth or a traditional IRA, what the pros and cons of that are. And, and also you can talk to someone like me who can talk about what life insurance offers as a savings for the future as well. And I, you know, one of the things it's really important to remember is having balance in your savings going forward. So having some retirement savings plus, you know, in a traditional, you know, an IRA working with a financial advisor, et cetera, but also having some diversified savings. So life insurance can offer some diversity there. It can offer some downside protection, meaning that uh, market fluctuations that happen don't have the same effect on savings through life insurance as they do with some other more traditional retirement savings like stocks and mutual funds and some other things. So, you know, there's a balance that need, you need to have, but there's a lot available nowadays. If you don't have an employer sponsored plan, you can go online and start your own. Just it, there's a lot of availability out there. Just be careful uh, with what you do and uh, make sure you do your research and, and uh, talk to people before you go online and just pick a company and a website and just decide to hook that up to your bank account. Yeah, definitely follow the steps and look for credible sources. I think we're just about done here. Um, I feel like we've covered a lot unless there's like no, a I major think, topic. You know, Char, we like talked about a lot of different things. So I think, um, you know, we talked a lot about mindset and kind of, kind of how that applies to kind of financial wellness. Yeah. and making sure that you're setting yourself up uh, for success. And I think that's really important, especially when you're young, starting out and kind of there's no magic bullet. Yeah. Okay. I got a couple of final questions for you. What do people need to start doing today in order to retire early in a way that is sustainable and maintainable? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's the, that's like the golden ticket question right there. Everybody wants to know that because that's the, you know, there's the retirement and then there's the retire early. And the, unfortunately there is no, there's no magic formula. There's no shortcut. There's no life hack for that. Hard work, education, patience, consistence, commitment. Those are the things that are really important 
those are the things that are going to set you up for success in the future with your retirement savings. I think the biggest thing is start, you can never start saving too early. Never, 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 never. Start saving today, start saving tomorrow, you know, start whatever, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's putting an extra $5 a week into a coffee can <laughs> until you can get down to the bank and open an account and then build that up to then where you can take it and put it into something like whatever that looks like for you start today. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is you don't have to have a bulletproof plan on day one. You don't have to have some magical vision set up on day one. Just start. That's the most important thing. Starting is the most important thing. Yeah. And it's something that can be hard to do. Make just start and, and figure it out as you go. Okay. So my final question for you is what are your three, if you had to choose three keys to money to live a more happy, healthy, and abundant life, what would they be? I hate to sound like a broken record Shire, <laughs> but we're going to, I'm just going to go back to those three, those three keys that we talked about earlier. And I think they're really important. Um, and that is the patience, consistency, and commitment with saving money. It's not always fun, but sometimes you know, you want to do things early on in your life, but you might not be able to, cause you don't have the money. Don't, don't fall into the temptation to go lay it out on a credit card because that's going to hurt a lot later. <laughs> so I think, you know, being, being patient, consistent, commit, committed, all, just being disciplined with it, disciplined with your spending and just always having an idea of what you want to do in the future, you know, goals you want to work towards so that you can have that future that you want. And I, you know, I don't want to sit here and sound like a, a, a fuddy-duddy that tells you to just sock away every dollar in a sock drawer and, and stuff it under your mattress until you're 70. And then don't don't do anything fun with your life, but make sure make sure that you save your money in a way that, you, that it's going to work for you and that you have some of that money accessible to you. So when you want to do fun stuff, you can do that fun stuff without digging yourself into a giant hole. And I think that's that's the real challenge. You know, we all have things we want to do in life. We have vacations we want to go on. We have trips we want to take. We have stuff that you want to buy, things that you want to do with a, with your family, things that you want to do with yourself. Maybe you have a bucket list trip. You know, you have like the top three places in the world you want to travel. That stuff costs money. Just make sure that you start saving for that stuff now so that you don't have to go into a giant hole of debt and, and then end up paying for it for the next 12 years and thereby sacrificing the health of your retirement. That's, I think, really important. That's tough. Yeah. Don't, don't live an uninteresting life, but at the same time, just be careful about it. You know, don't, don't get yourself in over your head. Definitely. Well, awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Matthew. Um, I learned a lot about saving for retirement and really just money in general. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks, Shire. I appreciate the connection and the opportunity to uh, come on and talk with you, have a discussion. And if anybody, any of your listeners want to get in touch with me, you can do that uh, through my website, uh, sfgcollins.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. And uh, I'm here to answer your questions and in general or specific questions about insurance. Happy to, to have a discussion with you anytime. Just reach out. And uh, thanks again, Shire. I appreciate your time. Mm -hmm.